Good morning, church. Uh, today I want to tell you about uh, what's happening with our new building first. Here we have a picture of our new building um, on Monday morning of this past week. This is what it looked like on Monday morning from the stage. So from my perspective, that is looking towards the back part of the building. Now, this picture is not really easy to see, but uh, what you see there is our construction workers, our fellows, who have been building on it. Um, they are eating lunch on top of a stack of plyboard. Um, what I'm showing you this for is because uh, if you feed these guys, I want to show you what happens. By the end of the week, uh, three days, they have all of the first story um, walls uh, rough constructed in. There they are right there. So um, back to this picture. Um, this is my uh, plea for you guys to make some food and to bring them to our guys uh, during the week or sometimes on Saturday. So maybe you can't uh, you know, swing a hammer or, or help out with the building. That's no problem. But if you can cook some food to feed these guys, to give them fuel, then this is what happens. And before long, we will have a fully built church. So that's just an update of what is going on with our new building. Uh, will, will you pray with me now? Lord Jesus, I thank you for this time that we could be here to learn your word. Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would guide us through it and to help us to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Smashing idols. Serious serving requires decisive action. Now, the last few weeks, we've discussed serious serving. Like this year, we're becoming um, aware that we must be serious Christians, that we must uh, serve God in a serious way. And so a few weeks ago, we talked about serious serving. There's three parts of serious serving that we need to um, understand. And that is, first, we need to understand who our master is that we are serving. Our master is God. And our motivation for serving must be love, and it is measured by the fruit of the Spirit. And then last week, we discussed that we should know what we are signing up for. We're signing up for a, a wholehearted devotion and loyalty to the one and only true God who performs miracles and rescued us from sin and death. If you remember last Last week, we discussed the situation where Joshua was um, telling the Israelites that were standing around him that they needed to get serious about whom they were serving. He told them, or he asked them, um, who do you guys serve? And they said, we, we, we serve the Lord. We worship the Lord. And he says, uh, he says no, you don't. They say, yes, yes, we do. We, we serve the Lord. We believe in the Lord. And he says, mm, I don't think you do. And so finally they're like, we want to serve the Lord. We guarantee you, Joshua. And he gets them right there in that moment. And he says, okay, you're in. Then look at all these idols around you. Smash them destroy these idols. If you're in it to be serious, to seriously serve God, then you have to get rid of the 
idols around you. And it was just as if uh, Joshua was picking up a hammer and handing it to them at that moment. It's time to make decisive action happen. Now, what is an idol? What is an idol? Uh, It's anything that stands between you and God. And we can't have anything standing between you and God. So we must smash idols. One of my favorite examples of smashing idols, of destroying idols, is in Acts chapter 19. And this is where, um, this is in the New Testament. So a lot of the idols we read about are in the Old Testament. But this is the New Testament. It's in a situation where um, there are some fellas who are are speaking, uh, trying to heal people in the name of Jesus, but they don't have a relationship with Jesus. Um, they they uh, are doing it for themselves, or they are doing it to get the benefits uh, for who they are, and they don't have a relationship with Jesus. And so they come to this one place, and this, there's this demon-possessed guy, and they decide that they're going to heal the demon-possessed guy, and uh, they go into the room, and what the demon from inside the guy says is, is, hey, uh, we don't, I don't know you. And um, what uh, this fella came in saying is, hey, uh, I cast you out, you demon. Um, and Acts chapter 19, verse 13, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. He said, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. Not who he preaches. He claimed in the name of of Jesus whom Paul preaches. And the demon says, "Mm, I know Jesus, I know Paul, but who are you? And then the demon-possessed man jumped on these guys that were not having a relationship with Jesus, but preaching in his name. And um, he gave him a good whipping, and then he ran off. After that, the people who seen this, um, they decided to take their relationship with Jesus seriously. And verse 19 says, A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books. Incantation books is a book that tells you how to do magic, how to do sorcery, because that was um, something that they were in the habit of of trying to see if it would work. So they brought these books together and burned them at a public bonfire. The value of these books, the scripture says, was several million dollars. The incantation book stood between the people and God. Those books were idols. Several million dollars worth of idol destroyed. A lot of money worth of the enemy's propaganda destroyed. God loved that. So let's discuss some modern day idols. Idols that we uh, struggle with or deal with today. I did a re, uh, little bit of research online and, and did some reading and some uh, commentaries. And it turns out here's some of the most uh, common idols that we come across today. Identity, uh, money, uh, material things, job, physical appearance, physical intimacy, uh, entertainment, comfort, phones, technology, uh, influence, and fame. These are some of the things that we struggle with. Modern day idols. When an idol is allowed to get between you and God, it will start to destroy your life. 
as you're looking at this list, you can see that idols will ruin your marriage, tear apart your family. Idols will disunify your community, and they will destroy your country. Sometimes an idol can be easily seen. Not easily identified, but easily seen once you have identified them. For instance, the dollar or the cell phone. Two idols that are easily seen. Uh, both of these, you know, entertains you. Uh, it dictates your mood. You think it keeps you stable. Your telephone or your, your, your dollar, the money that you have. I know. It can be said that uh, it's not actually the dollar bill or the actual electronic device that has so much pull on your life. It's what's behind it. You know, uh, money runs your life because you have to have it to live, so you have to work for it, and so it's what's behind it. And you might say that my cell phone isn't my idol. It's what my phone contacts or connects me to in my, that controls my life. You know, maybe Facebook, the news, Minecraft, uh, TikTok, other people that your telephone connects you to. Maybe that's the part of the idol that comes into play. And, you know, that's partially correct. There's nothing physically wrong uh, with the dollar or the cell phone. And, you know, there's nothing physically wrong with a golden calf or a little carved wooden figure. It's what those items connect a person to that is bad. The golden calf that we read about in the Old Testament and the carved idols, they were made to connect with false gods. Destroying the idol didn't destroy the false god, but it is a decisive act of separation. It was severing the connection with the false God, kind of like when you cut your credit card. You spent too much money and you're done. You can't spend any more money. So you cut that thing in half. You know, that doesn't stop you from spending money. You can get a new credit card. But what it is, is it is an act of, is a decisive action. It's a step in the right direction. It's, helping you make the shift and say, okay, I've done it. Um, I've taken the step. It's time to get serious now. So destroying physical idols is absolutely crucial. But in, case, in the case of your cell phone or your money, obviously it's not that simple. Well, actually you could destroy your money and you could, it's pretty easy to destroy a cell phone but, you know, you use these two items for good as well. So we have to do a little more work to identify the false gods behind the things in this list. Well, let, let's start by discussing why was idolatry so appealing to the Israelites? Well, several factors were involved. 
The Israelites were surrounded by pagan nations, remember? Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 12 through 14 says, Be careful not to forget the Lord who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. You must fear the Lord your God and serve Him. When you take an oath, you must use only His name. You must not worship any of the gods of our neighboring nations. Neighboring nations. Now, we, we don't uh, have uh, neighboring nations around us that worship false gods. It's more like we have neighboring people around us in our community or neighboring institutions that are worshiping false gods. And most of the time, they don't even know it. They don't even recognize that. The pagans believe that worshiping several gods was superior to worshiping one god. That is to say, they felt that more was better. One God is good, then uh, several gods is better, right? Wrong. God's people constantly imitated the evil religious practices and lifestyles of the people around them. Do you act like the people around you? If the people around you are God-honoring people, then that's fine. But if they are not, it's a problem. God commanded the Israelites to keep themselves holy and separated from idol worship. And His command to us is the same. Keep ourselves separated from idol worship. The second reason why idolatry is so appealing to the Israelites is the, the false gods of other nations did not require the kind of obedience and moral purity that, God, that the God of Israel demanded. It was easy and it was fun to worship these pagan gods, right? Uh, fine, but uh, based on eternity, you don't want to uh, do something that is fun and easy. You've probably heard the same, if, if it's worth doing, it's, actually I don't, if, if it's worth doing, then do it well. If it's, I can't remember the same. But the point is, is if you want to accomplish something, work hard at it. It's not going to be easy. Many of the idol worshiping practices were self-pleasing and sinful indulgences. These practices became appealing to many Israelites, but God required His people to obey high moral standards defined in His law in order to maintain a saving relationship with Him. They had to resist the pull towards immorality and other sinful practices and, uh, that were accepted and practiced by the pagan religions. Remember, this is before Jesus. Folks, we really have it good before Jesus came, in the time where these Israelites were struggling with idols, they had a whole list of things that they had to live up to. And it was good that they worked towards that and that they honored God and did their best to make their lives holy. But we now have a Savior so that we don't have to, to make sure we're doing absolutely every little bitty thing. And not that you shouldn't be. It's just we need to understand that it is by grace through faith that we are saved. Now the third reason um, that idolatry was so appealing to the Israelites is because of the demonic character of the idols. Um, 
Idolatry at times produced appealing results for the people who worshipped the images. Let me rephrase that. When they would worship a little idol that was supposedly a, supposedly a god, that idol wouldn't do anything for them, but boy, the devil was excited to have their attention off of the one true God. So if he could do one little thing that might work out for that person when they're worshiping that little God, then he would have their distraction away from true God and on to the idol. The devil was behind of it. The demonic Demonic powers were able to provide temporary and material and physical benefits for the worshipers. Uh, fertility gods promised uh, the birth of children. Weather gods promised agreeable conditions for abundant crops. The warrior gods promised protection from enemies and victory against their enemies in battle. Such benefits were attracted to the Israelites and for these reasons there were many that were willing to dedicate themselves to worshiping idols. You know, we can guess and get results part of the time. A lot of you guys say, man, you could be a weatherman because all you have to be is 50% right, right 50% of the time. Uh, think about the magic eight ball that you had when you was a kid. Uh, you would ask, man, what should I do? Does she like me? And, she, and the little octagon thing inside would say it's it's most assured and you oh yeah and then you would open up a fortune cookie and whatever was written on there says that your day is going to be good you have done a, a good deed today and you think man that was right and you're tempted to put some some um you know some stock into the paper inside of a fortune cookie uh but let's not forget uh that even though those things can be right just by uh, chance, we can guess the weather 50% and get right by chance. Let's not forget the devil's part in this. The devil does have some power. But you know where his power will get you? It'll get you to hell. Idols were pleasing to the Israelites for the same reasons that they are appealing to us. So let's discuss the basic character of idolatry. We cannot fully understand the appeal of idolatry unless we understand its true nature. The Bible makes it plain that an idol is nothing. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 11 says, has any nation ever traded its gods for new ones? Or even though they are not gods at all? Uh, it's a good question. Even though they are not gods at all? How about Jeremiah 16, 20? Can people make their own gods? These are not real gods at all. It's only a piece of wood or stone carved by human hands. It has no power of its own. Samuel calls idols useless things. 1 Samuel 12, 21, don't go back to worshiping worthless idols that cannot help or rescue you. They are totally useless. And Paul clearly states in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4, well, we all know that an idol is not really a god and that there is only one god. Because of an idol's worthlessness, 
the psalm writers and the prophets often mocked and ridiculed idols, pointing out how ridiculous it is to trust them. Now think about that list of modern-day idols. Keep that in mind as we read this text, ridiculing idols. Psalms chapter 115 says, We says, why let the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens, and he does as he wishes. Their idols are merely things of silver and gold shaped by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, and noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, and feet but cannot walk, and throats but cannot make a sound. And those who make idols are just like them, as are all who trust in them. An idol. Idol. Man, they think a whole bunch about what an idol could do. But nothing is what the scriptures tell us. You know, I, when I was preparing for this sermon... I, uh, I'm not a really good grammatical or speller. I'm not, I didn't even say that right. I'm not good at grammatical stuff. So um, I was thinking to myself, oh, this makes sense. When I leave my truck idle out in the yard, it's the same as worshiping idle. Now, it's spelled differently, so that's where I went wrong. Idle, your truck is I-D-L-E, right? And an idle, serving an idle is I-D-O-L. But you know, it's kind of the same thing. If I start my truck and let it idle, it's going nowhere. It's burning fuel and it's useless, especially in the summertime. It's just doing nothing except wasting precious resources. It is sitting there idle. Now, if we worship idols, guess what? It's useless. It's accomplishing nothing but burning our precious resources burning uh, our energy that we could have be using on the true God. It's so ridiculous to think about worshiping idols. We uh, think of the Israelites, why would they worship a rock? But then, again, so many things in our lives that could probably fit in the same category. I have a uh, short video clip that I want to show you that illustrates uh, really well this and the this I, I have never uh, seen this uh, kid show before but it, it's so good because what it is is um, Abraham if you know Abraham's history he is from a family that sells made and sells made and sold um, idols and so Abraham was we know is a uh, man of God as he grew older came to be fully uh, sold out for God and not the idols. And so uh, watch this clip real quick. Aren't you too young to be selling idols? Aren't you too old to be throwing stones? Sell you any idols. What can you sell me? 
I can sell you this. That? It doesn't quite look like a body. What does it do? Well, I'll show you. Oh, I love demonstrations. This idol here has big eyes, just like my uncle in the Bukaminadai. The question is, can this great idol see? Only one way to find out. Watch out! seems ridiculous that uh, we would serve an idol that's other than God. And the, the parts where he admits he wanted a useless idol that was good for nothing, and he realized, covered his mouth, what have I said? What am I doing? I think that's a point that we have to come to in our lives. When we identify idols in our life, we have to realize, why am I worshiping? This thing that does nothing for me. Idols are nothing. But behind all idols of false gods are demons and spiritual beings that are ruled by Satan. Moses declared that false gods uh, are the same as demons. In Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he says the same thing when explaining to the believers about eating meat sacrificed to idols. The sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God, he says. The power behind idolatry is the power and activity of demons who have a lot of influence in this world. But we know, of course, that the power of Satan and his demons is nothing compared to the power of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 21 says, Now he is far above any ruler or authority, or power, or leader, or anything else, not only in this world, but also in, this, in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. Our God, as you can see from this scripture, has power even over power, if that can make sense. He created power. Nothing compares to the one true God. So what is God's response to idolatry? God makes it pretty clear about what he thinks of it. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 3 through 5, it says, You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind, an image of anything in the heaven or 
on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them, worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. God repeated the same type of instruction over and over. In Joshua chapter 23, verse 7, he says, Do not even mention the names of their gods, much less swear by them, or serve them, or worship them. Not only does God say, do not serve other gods, but in Exodus chapter 34, he says, instead you must break down their pagan altars, smash their sacred pillars, and cut down their Asherah poles. Now, the Asherah pole, if you don't know what that is, that is like a, a pole that's stuck in the ground and it rises up and it's carved and it is basically an idol and it's usually to very immoral immoral things. So we have circled back to breaking down and smashing them. So I say to you, pick up the hammer. Idolatry can be seen in lots of forms today. It's clearly evident in the false religions, in sorcery, in Satanism, in self-worship. It's also present when people give themselves over to greed and materialism rather than trusting in God alone. In fact, idolatry is an issue whenever anything is in, in a person's life takes priority over God. It can also occur within the church when people participate uh, in the immoral and wicked practices while they are... Um, walking or expressing salvation and blessings at the same time. As a result, the New Testament warns us not to be greedy, not to be immoral, or to desire what belongs to others, but rather to flee from all forms of idolatry. Remember that list of modern-day uh, idols? Let's look at it again. Identity, money, material things, and so on. You know what most of these idols boil down to? The idol of yourself. These things that you would worship or serve, serve yourself. We say, I know what the true God wants for me, but I think I'll do it my way a little bit. Look at our culture. It says, you are what you think you are. Man, you can think you're a bunch of things, but truth is, you've been made by God. You didn't just think yourself up. Come on. Here's, here's what we should say to our culture, man. You didn't make yourself, so you surely can't make yourself into a God. We can make idols. We can make ourselves into idols. But remember, by the way, uh, idols are useless things. Why would we want to make ourselves into useless things? But we can't make God. The one true God has many definitions. But in this case, here's the definition that we should focus on. The one true God is not created. Don't worship anything that has been created. By the way, everything else other than the one true God has been created. 
We can't make a real God. We can't even make something that looks like God. Here's what Moses says on behalf of God. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 15, he says, uh, But be very careful. You did not see the Lord's form on the day he spoke to you from the heart of the fire at Mount Sinai. So do not corrupt yourselves by making an idol in any form, whether, it, whether of a man or a woman, an animal on the ground, a bird in the sky, an animal that scurries along the ground, or a fish in the deepest sea. And when you look up into the sky and see the sun, moon, and stars, all the forces of heaven, don't be seduced into worshiping them. The Lord your God gave them to all the people of the earth. Even Moses, guys, had no idea what the image of God looked like. He heard Moses from the bush. He didn't see him. There's no way anyone can make an idol to even look like the true God. And maybe, maybe that's where we get so bent towards self-worship is because Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 says, God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And so we think, well, we are made in God's image, so if we uh, put ourselves as an image that we can worship, we're kind of like God, so maybe that's where we get it, but it's, it's, it's not the right thing to do because here's the difference. So God created human beings. We we're created. We're not meant to be worshipped. Only that which is not created is meant to be worshipped. And that's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Remember King Nebuchadnezzar? You find the story in uh, Daniel chapter 3. An old King Neb, he made himself an image out of gold. And it's kind of funny. We can... T we can uh, guess that uh, King Nebuchadnezzar was probably a, a sh short little wide man. The only reason I say that is because the statue that he made of himself, the image that Scripture says, was 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. I think he was compensating, kind of like maybe people do on Facebook, right? They make themselves out to be something that they not, they're not and they exaggerate their good features. And so, so if... If I were to be as tall proportionally as the image that he made of himself, I would be as wide as I am right now and 15 feet tall. But that's awkward. Uh, and so he over-exaggerated the features that he won, I think, and made it set up anyway. He set up this image of himself, and he was so proud of it, and he made a rule that uh, everyone in the kingdom had to bow down to it. You know the story. Abednego, Meshach, and Shadrach, they wouldn't do it. They would not bow down to that image of King Nebuchadnezzar because they knew that it was a created thing, that King Nebuchadnezzar was created. And they said, we don't care who he is, king or not. He's not God. He's not God's, or he is God's creation. He's not God, and we are not worshiping him. Well, when someone expects worship, and others don't worship them, they get offended. O King Neb was offended. Scripture says he was so furious that his face became distorted with rage. Not only does he decide to throw them into a furnace, but he tells his men to make it seven times hotter. Uh, I mean, throwing, to a people, throwing people into a furnace is... Um, is pretty irrational anyway, especially when you're doing it because they won't 
bow down and worship your really tall and skinny gold image. It's pretty irrational. But why do you have to make it seven times hotter? Like a furnace, as hot as it is, it's going to, people ain't going to survive that anyway. But he had to make it seven times hotter. And you know what happens as a result? Well, the soldiers that he told to tie them up and throw them in, the three Hebrew boys, uh, they were his strongest soldiers, the scripture said, his biggest and strongest. And, well, they died because the king decided to make it seven times hotter than normal. Listen, when we worship our own image, when we serve ourselves and not God, the people around us suffer. We get offended and we make irrational decisions that harm our family, that harm our friends. A lot of times we don't even see it until after it's happened. That's because we're too busy focusing on ourselves. Look at what old King Neb said to Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego before he threw them into the furnace. Daniel chapter 3, verse 15. I will give you... One more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? The three Hebrew boys, I can just imagine they said, what God... What God, King Nebuchadnezzar, will be able to rescue us? Well, it ain't going to be your 90-foot image. And it ain't going to be any God that starts with a little letter G. Verse 17, they said, If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, Your Majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Folks, do not serve idols, but serve the one and only true God Almighty. And then we can say with confidence, the God whom we serve is able to save us. And he saves us by the precious gift of Jesus Christ. He put his son on the cross, and it had to be hard, but it was for us. And he raised him up from the dead, and that had to be hard, but he's God. And it was for us. We can't raise people from the dead. It was for God's glory that we be saved through his son. That's my invitation for today. If you haven't been saved, then it's a good time to do it. It's a good time to smash the idols that are keeping you from God. Good time to put your faith in Him, the one and true God. If you're already saved, you've been walking down this Christian life of sanctification, of trying your best to be as God would want you to be, then... Stay energized. Don't lose hope because 
God's will is that his people be with him in heaven, and that's his guarantee through his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the word that you've given us, and we thank you for uh, our friends and family, those in our community who put their faith in you. Lord, we pray for those who do not know you. We ask that you would uh, continue to help us to identify idols in our lives and deal with them appropriately. Lord, destroying them and getting rid of them, putting on our new lives that you've created for us. We praise you and thank you for grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.